Dr. Andrew Horsley, thank you very much for joining us on AU Manufacturing Conversations. It's great to meet you and we appreciate you taking the time out to be our guest. Thanks, Grant. It's a pleasure to be here. And so the first question, as it always is, is how did you get here and what do you make? Yeah, thanks. So I'm a physicist by training. So I did my undergrad at the Australian National University and then went over to Switzerland and had six years there, sampling a whole range of different quantum technologies. And I think the common theme for me was trying to take science and turn it into a usable tool. And so I worked in sensing, I worked in optical quantum memories and eventually gravitated towards quantum computing as the most impactful thing I could do and Diamond as the most practical of the quantum technologies. And so I came back to Australia about five years ago now. That was to work on a commercialisation idea with Marcus Dolly, who turned into my co-founder or one of the two co-founders in Quantum Brilliance. So we went through a process was really strongly supported by the ANU and the Director of Physics there, by CSIRO and their ON program, and kind of learnt about that entrepreneurial process and how to translate research into a venture-backable business. And through that process, we met our third co-founder, Mark Lowe, who was working in CSIRO at that point in time and was able to bring that commercial background and understanding finance and, and these kinds of things to come on and round out that team. So we founded a company called Quantum Brilliance and what we do is build quantum computers. So what quantum computers are, it's taking well-understood physical phenomena that we don't currently exploit and making improvements to technology, whether that's, you know, in this case, computing. The analogies, it's like going back to the 1800s and harnessing electricity for the first time. It means a lot to, to harness a fundamental physical phenomena for the first time and exploit that. And so people are very excited about applying these quantum effects to computing and the new things that we might be able to do. The challenge with quantum computing, though, is that most of the ways that you can build a quantum computer take you back to the 1950s, where you've got big room-sized or even building-sized mainframe kind of devices. And so they can add a lot of value, but they're fundamentally limited in the types of applications they can support. At Quantum Brilliance, by focusing on using Diamond to build our quantum computers, we're actually able to put all of that infrastructure into the diamond itself. And so you have something that instead of taking up a room, you can hold in your hands. So what good looks like for us is actually in the end, you open up your laptop and you've got an Intel sticker and you've got a quantum brilliant sticker there. And there's a small quantum processor inside there and it's just making quantum computing an everyday technology, like the microprocessor did that took us from mainframe classical computers to computing being an everyday technology in your laptop, in your phone, in robots, all of that kind of stuff. That's a very good introduction, I feel. But I think one thing we need to expand on or introduce perhaps is your approach for making these nitrogen vacancy center diamond qubits. I'm curious, and the audience presumably is also curious about how things are made. Tell us about this approach, perhaps versus the old shotgun implantation way of making such qubits. Yeah, sure. And conscious this is a manufacturer audience, so maybe even I take a step back and talk about because the diamond is just one component. So there's a lot of things that are very familiar technologies that go into a quantum computer, a diamond-based quantum computer. So we're leveraging precision optics, we're leveraging microwave and radio frequency electronics, a whole bunch of embedded systems, say so FPGA, a lot of digital signal processing. We've got then so that digital analog converters to create the control voltages that then we send to the diamond. So there's a lot of very familiar parts of the technology stack that feed into this. And then at the very core is 
what we call the integrated quantum chip, which is like your you know, CPU chip inside uh, in your laptop, but instead of having silicon, it's got a piece of diamond in there. And the, as you said, one of our key bits of separate source is how to fabricate the quantum parts of that diamond and how to get past barriers that it existed before. So inside the diamond, what we're using for computational bits are atomic scale defects inside the diamond, basically electrons and nuclei mm-hmm. that we can control and read out. And the diamond acts as this neutral host material. So the extreme properties of diamond mean that you can have all of these carbon atoms nearby, but they're not perturbing things. And so they protect our system and they hold it in place and don't do more. And that's that's an amazing property to have. The qubits, so these quantum bits that we use, they have to be spaced a few nanometers apart. And that has been a problem for Diamond. So Diamond has been a very promising technology for other types of quantum tech that don't require such precision in fab. And we always, as a community, in the research community, knew that Diamond could be great, but there was this fabrication problem. And the way that fabrication was done was implantation. So basically firing atoms at very high speed into the diamond and they bounce around between all the carbon atoms in the diamond and end up somewhere and that you could never get enough precision in the placement of those atoms that you're firing in to build a large quantum computer and so what we've done is invert that instead of firing atoms in so a top-down approach we have a precision technique where during the growth of diamonds we're able to with atomic precision introduce those defect atoms into the diamond and so deliberately construct that array of quantum bits inside the diamond. So if we pull back up, what that means is now we can invest in developing that atomically precise diamond fabrication technique and we're doing that in Australia and in Melbourne. There's there's a huge amount of expertise in the research organisations here and we also work with partners in Germany on that. And through that, address that really critical blocker that had been uh, there for, for what's otherwise a very promising technology. I guess to go a little further with the making things sort of angle, what does your supply chain look like and how are you growing these diamonds in Melbourne? What are the ingredients for someone like myself perhaps who is not aware and how do you make that into qubits in diamond? Yeah, sure. So unsurprisingly, the supply chain for diamond is not as mature as, <laughs> uh, as silicon chips. Where we want to get it to is that you're buying a diamond wafer just like you buy a silicon wafer. At the moment, they're smaller, they're tiles. I describe them as unromantic rectangles. So it's like <laughs> a few, you know, five by five millimeter rectangle. And so that's something we buy off the shelf. And eventually that will be a wafer that we buy off the shelf. And then we start our, our value add process on top okay. of that. That value add process that starts with growing a little bit more diamond on top of it. And in that growing a little bit more diamond, we're, we're including that array of qubits. And then fabricating nanoscale electronics on top of the diamond surface and kind of going towards regular chip type production. So similar to making an RF chip where you've got lots of high frequency signals coming in and out. The good thing for us is there's no logic components that we need to be building into these things. It's really just passive components Mm -hmm. um, to transport signals to and from the surface of the diamond. Tell me about accelerators as your focus. I mean, every startup needs to find a meaningful niche where they can perform well in and offer something that nobody else can. Tell me about deciding on accelerators as your focus and why was this a winning match for the IP that you developed? An analogy I like to use is Cray. 
So in the history of classical computing, Cray was for many years the premier brand for supercomputers. They made the best. If you wanted the most high-performing computer of the nation, you bought a Cray. It was almost a status symbol. Super high-performing, big margins on the products, but fundamentally a small market and, an, and kind of a niche product. And compared to the scale then that we saw with Intel and NVIDIA, who a small kind of limited in the success that that company could have. For us, we are trying to be the Intel and NVIDIA of quantum computing to make devices that add a huge amount of computational power for users, but aren't necessarily the absolute best that a quantum computer could be. They're just very good and much more usable, much more deployable, can suit a much wider range of market and applications. This is what the quantum accelerator lets us do from a market and kind of business perspective. In terms of the applications that it lets us support, what it's doing is letting us take quantum out from big infrastructure environments and make it that everyday technology. So have it in your laptop, have it in a self-driving car or in a robot. There, kind of what, what it's offering is actually compute density. Inside your robot, you just can't cram enough GPUs into that form factor to have enough computational power to do many very interesting applications. We can enable those to have that robot able to understand humans better, make more sensible and safer decisions around humans, analyze data in a satellite and beam high quality information back down to a user, farmer in the field or or people looking for spotted bushfires, Mm -hmm. things like that. So for us, it was where can we have the most impact and how can we make a transformative tool that people don't really think about quantum and just think about all the cool things that it's letting them do and having that transformative effect across a whole range of different sectors. So you're sort of about democratising it rather than having it something that's there for researchers and high-power users and multinationals, et cetera. I mean, eventually. That's right. Not to say that that kind of supercomputing power is, that underpins a lot of our data lives as well, but in a less visible way. We can also support that by having mass deployments so thousands of quantum computers in a data centre rather than one or two. But uh, there's, there's that duality of having it centralised as well as now in all of those everyday items that we try. It's a different kind of question and it probably would better fit at the beginning, but anyway, what's the size of your team and who does what where? Yeah, sure. So we're about 90 people now across Australia and also in Germany. So about 50 people here in Australia Offices in Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne, and then in southern Germany, in Stuttgart and Freiburg, where we've got an R&D, materials programs, optics lab programs, through to product development, software, user-facing applications, and in both countries, having, having that kind of full spectrum. We're speaking as a result of an opportunity that came up due to your raise today. Uh, congratulations on that. 18 million US is a healthy amount of money. I'm sure you can do lots with it. Tell me about some of that lots that you presumably hope to do with it and what are your next moves with that fresh bit of capital? Yeah, so it's letting us do things like double down. I'm, I'm, I'm in Melbourne today and it's letting us do things like double down on our investment into the Melbourne ecosystem where there's a very strong existing base of diamond materials expertise and we're then able to leverage that and help grow the capability that lets us address this translation from diamond manufacturing at an R&D level into an actual churning out millions of products. We're looking at growing an ecosystem of software developers and users around 
our platform. So we've been able to move early on things like how do you integrate a quantum computer with a classical computer, both in terms of hardware and software. Yeah. We've deployed quantum hardware to the Pawsey Supercomputing Center in Perth. That was a world first for any quantum computing platform. And the learnings on both hardware and software fronts there are letting us generate new products and bring value to customers who want to understand how do I get value from quantum computing and how do I build it into my systems. And you mentioned Pawsey, and I read an old IEEE article that mentioned it was a five-qubit accelerator that you provided there. Tell me what you can do with five qubits. Can you do anything useful, or is that sort of not the point? A little more detail on that, please. Yeah, sure. So actually, it's a two-qubit device. Okay, um, excuse me. It's, I, think, I think the question still stands. Yes, you can do many useful things. It is not a computational tool. It's a tool for understanding how do you deploy quantum systems and have them still operate and performant, how do you integrate them into other devices. So we have that quantum computer inside, it's sitting next to Pawsey's Satonics supercomputer. Mm-hmm. That's a very unfriendly environment in terms <laughs> of noise and vibrations and electromagnetic noise for a quantum computer to operate in. And so it's that test bed for developing and demonstrating the robustness of, of our devices. It lets then people log in and access even a small quantum system to build on top of that. And so it's that combination of hardware and software to build on top of that. Say I'm developing a module, my company or my research group or is developing a module that helps control quantum computers better. I can test and develop that by accessing uh, real software, real hardware. The value as well comes in through the uh, the learnings that these supercomputing centres have and in how to host quantum hardware building up their own capacity to be ready to scale out and, again, provide that beyond leading-edge capacity and capability for their user bases. Kind of a trite question, but, you know, you're an expert in the field and so, therefore, your point of view is interesting to me. What do you make of where the nation is now? Obviously, you hear it said that we have some brilliant researchers and some promising early-stage companies working in quantum technologies of various kinds. As you see it, how do we not sort of blow it when it comes to commercialization and how do we avoid this becoming another, I don't know, perk solar cell type episode where we make the smart stuff and then someone else makes the money off it in some other place in the world? Yeah, Australia's quite good at spiking the ball and then creating wonderful science mm-hmm. and then only partially capturing the value that uh, stands from that. Quantum is one where we have an excellent base coming in. You know, we've got 20 plus years of investment into quantum science in Australia. We now have one of the highest densities of quantum competing startups and companies in the world, diversity of different approaches that are generally complementary there. The things that we need are supporting a robust ecosystem with lots of interlinks between not just quantum companies, but between quantum companies and the rest of Australia's commercial sector, so between quantum companies and banks, between quantum companies and different types of manufacturing sectors. I mentioned that electronics, embedded systems, Optics are all really critical enabling technologies to build a quantum computer. These are things that Australia is good at, and we can be creating those links that, one, help us do more in Australia, and two, keep things here because of those links. The other key thing that helps us, again, grow and keep things here is supporting customer relationships. And in both cases, that's 
one of the roles I said government can really support the crime industry is acting as first customer and then also de-risking the creation of those links between different commercial entities and research organisations. If you feel comfortable speaking on the subject, is there an issue within manufacturing that currently isn't getting the attention it deserves? We're fortunate in Australia that quantum is getting, I think, the attention it deserves from state and federal government. And so that I think this year, the focus on translating that attention into material support and not just cash into the sector, but directed cash that encourages those links between all the different players in that ecosystem and beyond quantum and also fostering that government as a first customer and the proof points and de-risking that that supports. So I think for the sector, the economy is fortunate. It is getting fantastic attention and it's then how do we shape that attention and this opportunity to get the best outcomes for Australia and and really capture the opportunities in front of us. Lastly, is there a closing comment that you'd like to make or perhaps something you'd like to plug while we have you on the line? So I think this is something that Australia really can do. There are very few times where there's an opportunity to introduce a consumer and a business enabling product that is so fundamentally new that can underpin almost every aspect of our lives and that a single company can have a very large, if not complete, capture of the market. I think Quantum Billions is one where we can be one of the largest companies in the world or support that technology can be one of the transformative technologies of this century. We'll do that by being a global company, but our roots will always be in Australia and the way that we can... I'd, I'd give people just optimism that... Quantum is a new industry that many people can now contribute to. Many companies can now contribute to. You don't have to be a quantum company to start learning about how do you adapt your systems to exploit the future quantum capability or, for example, contribute to design of next-generation RF and micro products or the embedded control systems and firmware that help drive these things. There are a lot of opportunities for Australian companies to contribute to quantum and to be optimistic and bullish about that. Well, that's a fantastic note to finish on and it was a pleasure to speak to you, Andrew. Thank you for being with us on AU Manufacturing Conversations. Thanks so much, Brad.